temptations I had last week was to go ahead and just complete the book of Galatians. I figured we had only a few verses left and I could somehow wrap it up. And uh, while I was looking and studying and deciding exactly how we were going to do that uh, all the way to the end, you will see that these last few verses that Paul has for us, as he did for the people in Galatia, all had that, uh, it has just this extra punch that Paul wants to give. And he's really not, he's really not reprimanding the church as he has been throughout this whole letter, but much more those that have been trying to infiltrate the church with their gospel of works. Yes, Jesus Christ died. Yes, he died on the cross and he resurrected. And yes, he's coming back again. And I am glad that you have committed your life to Christ and are serving him. And you are now believers. However, they would say, in order to be a genuine, true believer, you have to be from the lineage of Adam, of Moses, of the law. And so they were trying to infiltrate the law into the church. These are some things that you must abide by. And one of the things was, the most important thing that Paul's talking about is circumcision. And so what Paul has started off, he started off by introducing himself to the church, never gives them a commendation as he does in other letters, and he just right away just rips into them. I can't believe, I am just astonished. I can't believe that you are following this other law. And as a matter of fact, if you turn back with me to 1 Galatians chapter, excuse me, Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, and he says, as we, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. There is no other gospel. It's by, by faith alone, in, in, uh, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And that's it. There's nothing else. And so when these, they called them Judaizers, what these people that were infiltrating the church, they were very um, influential. They were very influential. They mentioned that they came from the, the church in Jerusalem, that uh, James and uh, Peter had authorized their, them sending them. Paul goes back to Jerusalem and says, okay, let's get this straight. This is the gospel, right? And he proclaimed the gospel to them. And for 15 days, they checked Paul out and they sent them back out. He says, yes, that's it. Two years later, he comes back in and says, okay, I want to take this message to all the peoples. Peter to the circumcised, uh, me to the uncircumcised. And so this is how he started his ministry. Once it was established that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then that was the message. And everywhere he went, if you follow in the book of Acts, he was hounded by these Judaizers, these Pharisees. They wanted to add more to grace. And so throughout the whole letter, we've been hearing Paul just reprimand the church, talk to the church. And sometimes it seems that I have spoken in such manner to you. And, uh, you know, and, and only because the letter somehow dictates that. But the one thing that we always come back to, if you are saved by the grace of God, you cannot lose that. That is yours. Anytime you try to add anything more to that, then it becomes, as Paul would say, cursed, accursed. It's totally contrary to God's word. I know that if I were to ask you to Google in your phones right now and, and try to share with me, try to find out how many religions are in the world, there are various numbers, they're all over the place, but if you were to count all the religions, most people would come out with the figure of 4,500 plus, 4,500 different types of religions within the world. Well, from the very beginning of time, there's only been two, Jesus Christ and everything else. 
and the world of Satan. There's always been the wide road. There's always been the narrow road. There's always been the good fruit. There's always been the bad fruit. There's always been sheep, and there's always been goats. There's only two. And the one that God himself has ordained for us is the gospel and the salvation by faith alone. Everything else, if you follow them just a little bit far, you know, far enough, it might seem correct. It might seem, well, they believe in Jesus. They, as a matter of fact, they call Jesus the Son of God. Yes, but this group will not call him God. Well, they believe in Jesus. They believe that he is, you know, he, he's right there next to God. Yes, but they also believe, this other group believes that Jesus and Satan are brothers. And they believe in Jesus. Well, yeah, they also believe in Jesus, but they believe that Jesus and Muhammad are both prophets. And so it might sound right, but any type of works related uh, to, to your salvation is contrary to what God himself did on the cross. See, he paid the price. He's the only one that could ever pay the price for our sin. We offended a holy God from the very beginning. And because of that offense, God provided a sacrificial lamb. And when that lamb was provided and slain and the blood poured out, your sin, my sin, and those who will come to believe's sin are saved. And even in today's culture, even today, we still have a works relationship. We have a works type of salvation. Yes, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Yes, I believe that he rose from the dead. Yes, I believe he's coming back. However, I must make the choice. It becomes a man-centered uh, theology where it's up to me if it's going to be. And this theology that has been perpetuated within the church has caused a lot of confusion within the church. And it's interesting because when Paul ends this portion of the scriptures, right away in the book of Ephesians, which they're not necessarily written in chronological order, but he starts to talk about, as I mentioned last week, the doctrine of salvation or the doctrine of grace, which we call predestination. And we're going to spend a few weeks on this topic just to try to get as much information as we can. Now, there's some of you that may not agree, you know, it's and you'll have to live with that, I guess. And you have every, you have every right to, to uh, disagree. Yeah, I almost said something else. Which I want to be encouraging. This is how the Bible uh, is read. This is how it's looked at. And this is how it's seen. And you can probably bring all sides, all side, outside revelation or outside sources. And you can probably infer a lot of things. But for the next few weeks, uh, we will look at the book of Ephesians. That's our next book in line. And when I talk to those that uh, we've been going through these lessons, I says, you know, we're going to go through this portion of Scripture. And uh, someone said, this is going to be very hard teaching. I go, not necessarily. Just read what it says and look at the supporting verses. And shouldn't be, it shouldn't be confusing. Yet, if, if it is, we, we will have a class on Sunday nights. Uh, Sunday nights is our Fundamentals of Faith, which, again, is postponed this Sunday. The Fundamentals of Faith is, uh, is going to be the class that we are going to walk you through the doctrine of salvation. Some people call it Calvinism. Some people call it other things, but it's the doctrine of salvation. And I've been accused of being a Calvinist. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with how he formulated it. I don't agree in the wording that he used, and I don't agree in a lot of a uh, lot of other. Well, let's just put it for that. I, I'm really more into the doctrine of salvation, uh, predestination, and, I, and I'll walk you through that once again. But. Here is what Paul is kind of going to at this point in Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. I'm going to go ahead and read those verses, lead you in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right in. 
But in my book, in the English Standard Version, it says, Final Warnings and Benediction. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from, the, from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. Brothers, amen. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this, these closing remarks from Paul. And he goes down fighting in these last few verses, proclaiming the truth that it's by salvation, by grace alone. And so he is sharing with us his heart and his passion for this gospel message that Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life for. It was his blood that he gave. And Paul, at any point in time, could have reverted back to his old Jewish uh, Hebrew traditions and avoided much, much of the persecution that he endured. Yet, he carried on. In spite of the opposition, in spite of those within the church, in spite of all the things that happened within a family. And Lord, I know that each one of us have been persecuted in some way, shape, or form by others that truly want to place more emphasis on the works of the flesh instead of the work of the Spirit. So I pray, Lord, that as we conclude this portion of Scripture, you encourage us, you help us to know that in spite of what the world may throw at us, we're dead to the world. The world is dead to us. We no longer are of the old nature. We are new creations created by Jesus Christ, by what He did on the cross. Thank you once again, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The, the end of this letter ends in the way that it started. He started off with grace. In verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you know, uh, you, you are receiving my grace. You are receiving the grace that comes from God. And I'm giving it to you. And I'm, I'm, I'm showing you and I'm loving you with this grace. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is how he ends the letter in verse 18. And it's a deep concern for the spiritual welfare of the church that he is proclaiming this. It's evident throughout the whole epistle. Even though sometimes he comes down hard on them, he does it out of love, this tough love that he has. They were teaching this bogus man-made gospel of salvation by works and living under the government of the law in complete contradiction to the divine gospel of salvation by grace. And in the living uh, out of the Spirit, we talked about walking in the, in the, walking in the Spirit so that you do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And the sinful nature, the deeds of the nature, or the works of the flesh, are those that, uh, that each one of us, we, we struggle with. And we have this flesh until it's glorified, and so we're always going to struggle with the flesh. Always. It's always going to happen. But God's way is the way of grace. 
And we have to understand that it's only through grace. God's way is the way of divine accomplishment. What he did on the cross, we couldn't do ourselves. I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. It's only by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And those who follow the way of human achievement, no matter how it's packaged, no matter how it's presented, no matter what it's, it may sound right. If I'm doing it on my own merit and in my own power, I can make myself uh, acceptable to God and worthy of a place in heaven. And then therefore God will love me because I can do it. I can choose it myself. And if that's the case, if all I have to do is just be good enough, then what Jesus Christ did on the cross was a waste of time. And I ask people all the time, uh, you know, have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die right now, that you'd go to heaven. And most of the time, Bill, you probably know this, that most of the time we, we get that response, well, yeah, I, I, I believe I'll go to heaven. And then with the following response is, well, a question would be, well, why do you think you'll make it to heaven? And nine times out of 10, most people will say, well, because I'm a very good person. They might not say that, but they'll say things like, well, I go to church. I don't do a lot of bad things. Uh, you know, I read the Bible and I pray all the time. I'm always praying. I pray to God. And, you know, I, and so we have this works style or works type of relationship. And I always respond back by saying, as Paul did, if that's the case, then the cross was superfluous. The cross has no meaning. Because if you can do this on your own self, by your own self-will, then the cross is just a waste of time. Why did Jesus Christ have to die? And so Paul starts off in verse 11 by saying, look at these large letters. I want you to know that it is I who am writing you. There have been some letters that have been, been passed around and, and they say it's from me. And you know, you can sense it. You can read. This is not Paul's theology. This is not Paul's doctrine. This is not Paul's teaching of what he's been telling us. And so in order to authenticate his letter, he says, I am writing to you with my own hand and these large letters. Now, there's all kinds of ideas and thoughts as to what that means. And I guess we can get into that argument as well. But basically what Paul was trying to say, he was authenticating the letter that he is sending to the churches in Galatia. Most of the letter is spent in condemning these false teachers, uh, these Judaizers is what we call them. And now Paul also condemns their motives for teaching. And so the, the teaching and, and the motives that are behind why you teach or what you teach, they, they span a huge, uh, a huge fear. And here Paul is just sharing with us just a few, and I want to share those with you as well. He declares that they were motivated. They were motivated by religious pride. They were motivated by fear. They were motivated by uh, being cowards. They were motivated by hypocrisy. They were motivated by all sorts of other uh, reasons except by the cross of Jesus Christ. Number one, some of them were motivated by religious pride and fear. Some of them were motivated by religious pride and fear in those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. These were people that were trying to get people, I guess in our day and age, baptized to show, look, we baptized 20 people. We've baptized 50 people. You know, this, just as last year, we baptized over 3,000 people. And so there is this name it type of a uh, religion or, or source of, of being able to proclaim what we have done. Now, there is a way of sharing the news that's going on during our revivals. We have been gifted a sizable amount from our foundation, Southern Baptist California Foundation, uh, California, Southern California. And the Southern California Baptist Foundation 
I said, we'll, we'll give you this, these, this funds, but let us know what happened. Report to us what took place. So we have to report after the, our third revival, which, by the way, we have a meeting this next weekend on, um, on, on Sunday, right after church. We'll have a meeting to start planning again what we're going to do for that revival, uh, July 30th, on Friday at 7 o'clock. Uh, and just so you know, it's already been posted on KSGN Air One. There are over 2,000 flyers that are going out to every door in this neighborhood. So if you live anywhere within a mile of this radius of this on the northern part, you'll receive a flyer. And then the next one, we're going to send it to the southern part. We had to cut it up because of funds and other things. But anyways, it's being promoted. You are promoting it. You're asking people to show up. And we're going to wait to see what God does. So we have an accounting to give. These are the things that we spent. This is what happened. These are the Bibles we gave out. People got baptized and such. So there is a way of being able to proclaim it. But you see, these guys were trying to go into a church that was already established and trying to get these people to switch over to their their thinking because it was, it was better for them. It was this prideful showing. It was this showing in the flesh is what Paul would say, who would force you to be circumcised. You have to be circumcised. You have to, and you add whatever regulation every church has in order for you to be saved. You have to take the Lord's Supper. You have to be baptized. You have to speak in tongues. You have to come to church every Sunday. You have to give X amount of monies. You, you have to, have to, have to in order to be saved. And there are churches that do this. But it's only by the grace of God. And Paul is trying to get this across to them. They, they want to show this good showing of faith. You are, you are growing and you're developing. And now they want to take that and apply it to their account. And not only because of, of that. And, and as a matter of fact, this pride that, we, that people have and people have had in the past, Jesus was strongly against that. He, he would say, in, for instance, Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And they knew exactly who he was talking about. Oh yeah, we've seen those guys. And a matter of fact, in verse 2, he says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. I guess if you would kind of translate that in today's, today's culture and vernacular, it would be somewhat similar to saying, you know, when you go out and do a ministry... Don't be taking selfies of yourself to post it on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Don't say, okay, you know, here's a plate of food. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. You know, pull out the phone and just say, look what, you know, very somber and sad and giving this plate of food or whatever it is. And then we see this all the time. As a matter of fact, on one social page, social media page that I saw this last week, somebody posted, I did a good deed today. I went to my neighbor's house and I cut the weeds down. I cut their branches down. And I felt really good about it. And so I, that... Feed got a lot of response. Well done. Great. Oh, you're awesome. You're good. And I can just imagine, you know, all this pride welling up inside. I did do a good thing. I was a very good person. What Jesus just said, you know what? If you're being praised by others, you have already received your reward. Don't let those types of things that you do be known. Now, there's missionaries, again, once again, that we have a missionary uh, that was here, that is from our church. Actually, she's in Bakersfield, but she grew up in a youth group here. And uh, she was here a few weeks ago. She's going to come back and give us a story. Her name is Danielle. Danielle went to Kosoviejo, uh, uh, something like that. She went out across the pond. And she gave, she's given us some testimony. I received something this morning. But she'll be back here in a couple of weeks or so on a Sunday, and she's going to share with us 
what they were able to do. Nice young lady, uh, as I mentioned, I grew up in the church. This next, in a couple of weeks, I will be officiating over her uh, aunt's uh, funeral. She passed away this last week. And, uh, and anyways, uh, she'll give a report. And, and uh, again, we'll coach her and help her. Okay, you know, just don't be proud. Just share what God did in your life. You know, and so there, there are some reporting, some things that we have to be accountable to because of the help that we give or the help that we receive. But Jesus is warning us not to do this on a regular basis, you know, proclaiming how much I gave, showing how much I do, you know, getting the reward right now. Your heart knows, and you know this, and you understand that we don't operate that way. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said in verse 5, it's not in your outline of Matthew 6, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they too have received the rewards. They would stand there and pray, oh God, and grateful God. And, and they would come out with all these eloquent verses and, and, and the traditions of the Father. They'd look around and say, oh, yeah, there you and, and, and they would continue on and, and, and whatever the case may be in front of people. Once again, we do have corporate prayer. We do stand up and pray together. We pray individually. But the intent of the heart is what God is looking at. God knows your heart for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. He knows your heart. You know, I, those that say, I follow my heart. Well, you, you know, you got to remember that the heart is deceitful and beyond cure. We need to follow the word of God. Some are motivated by pride and by fear. Uh, he says in verse 12, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. From the first century, the cross had been recognized as, in, as a symbol of Christianity. It never was to be met, meant to be a piece of jewelry, something we hang on our, uh, that we hang on our rearview mirror or on our wall. It was never meant, it was meant to be something that I am willing to go to this same cross because of what Jesus Christ had done for us. I don't know if you understand the meaning of the cross. We don't know much about the crucifixion except for what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says that he was crucified. His hands were pierced and his feet were pierced. We know that he was led out to Golgotha where they typically did these crucifixions. We don't know, as some people try to explain, it wasn't a cross, it was an X or it was a T or was it a pole. All we know is that he was crucified. We know that the Romans didn't actually invent the crucifixion. More, and more than likely, it was the Parthians. The Parthians had done this to take their captives and those that they, they overruled and they would take them out and, and hang them. Not to die, but as an exhibition. This is what happens when you go against this country or this king. And so what the Romans did, they took it and they perfected it. And they would take people that would go up against the Roman government. Now, crucifixions happened all the time. So it didn't have to be explained in the New Testament as to how the crucifixion took place. People knew what crucifixions were. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was in his early teens, uh, in probably uh, 12 or 13 A.D., there was a revolt, and 3,000 people were crucified in one day. In one day. And so there were crucifixions being done all the time. And, and, and so they, they knew the practice. They knew how it was, but it was never intended to kill you. It was always meant to make you suffer, to be an example, to show what, this, what would happen if you would go up against the government. And it was such a cruel execution that Roman citizens were, uh, were, not, were not held to that standard. It wasn't given to them, or women either. But it was always for the vilest criminal offenders. And that's where your Savior had died on that cross. 
This crucifixion was intended to cause suffering, and it was intended to, to be extended of your life. Some people would live three to four days, sometimes even seven days, and they would continue to feed them water and give them wine vinegar so they can dull their senses, and they would hang there on this cross with their feet pinned to the, to the base of it so that they can pick themselves up. Take a breath and let go again in exhaustion. And right when they are ready to pass out because their body was hanging on top of their lungs and they were getting ready to suffocate, they would pick themselves up again and drop back down and pick themselves up again. And this is why when Jesus Christ was on the cross with those two thieves, they wanted to expedite the crucifixion process. They said, go and break their legs so that they no longer can be able to rise up and take that breath. And when they came to Jesus, he was already dead, and they wanted to make sure he was dead, and they stabbed him in the side with the spear. And this crucifixion process lasted a long time. Sometimes they were hung very low where animals would come up, and, and they would chew on their legs and on their limbs, and birds would come, and, and they would take of their flesh. This crucifixion was extended in some ways. Sometimes people would just, you know, just hang there. And, you know, and now I'm going to just do everything I can to die. And so they started putting these little seats on the cross. They would sit them on the cross and, and they would make them stand there and sit there and endure this suffering and shame. And at times, you know, some of these criminals, they would just slide right off. So you know what the Romans invented? They invented these spikes that they would put on the seats and they would plant them on these seats. This is the crucifixion that Paul is talking about. I have been persecuted. I have, I have followed this persecution, you see, and he endured the shame. So when the New Testament believers heard of the crucifixion, they knew. It was, I've seen it with my own eyes. I've witnessed it. I see what they do to prisoners prior to the crucifixion, as in Jesus' case. The lashing, the whipping, the taunting the plucking of the beard, the crown of thorns that he got for us. Because rightly so, he is our king. Rightly so, he deserves that crown, not the crown that he received. But you know, this whole process of the crucifixion, Isaiah tells us that it pleased God. It pleased God to have him smitten. And it pleased him not because God is a, a sadist, not because he, he likes to see blood and, and see how much you can suffer, but because of what that crucifixion meant and what it did. Beloved, anytime you add anything to the gospel of grace, you're spitting on that cross. Anytime you say it is by grace and, or I saved myself, beloved, you better check yourself. It is by the grace of God and God alone. He did that for those who would believe. Paul knew exactly what he was talking about when he talked about the cross. This symbol, this horrible means of death that Christ took on. The, the book of Galatians has been called the crucifixion epistle because he talks about the crucifixion quite a bit, at least seven times. And, and he says, for this reason, the cross of Christ has been uh, a, an offense to the religious world. The religious world, you know, they, that's, that's just dumb. The Greeks, they thought, that's just foolishness. Why would anybody even want to do that? And, and to, the, to the Jews, they said, that's just, that's just ungodly. How are we supposed to believe in a person that that happened to? Where the Old Testament says that anybody that hangs on a tree, on a piece of wood, is cursed. 
And, and that's where we get a little bit of confusion where some people say, well, it says here that you know, anybody hung on a tree. And they, so it wasn't a cross. You, you know, we don't know. We don't know. What we do know is what he endured. We do know what happened. You want to split hairs as to how that, you know, we don't know. The Bible just said that he was crucified. And that's what we focus on in the crucifixion. You know, the, the Jews, in, in your, the outline that you have there in your verse, it's actually out of order right now. For the Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom, for we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews. And it's just folly, it's stupidness to Gentiles. But to those of us who are called, there's that word, called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God is power for us and it's wisdom for us. And, and it is dumb when you think about it from the sense of what we're looking at. You know, who would do that? And as I mentioned last week, Paul, by all intents and purposes, was a failure compared to the world. He had everything going for him as a Pharisee. He had all the money in the world. He had all the position and power and prestige that any person could ever achieve. He was set to be the high priest. And he gave it all for the cause of Christ. He gave it all for the cause of Christ. And so these difficult statements, this, this, excuse me, this difficulty that these people were going through, Paul says again, he says, it, is, it is to those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. There are people that don't want to put in the work. There are people that don't want to put in the suffering, the sacrificing. There are people that are just going to just do enough to proclaim they're Christians. And the moment that they're persecuted, well, you know, I, I can still do this because I'm saved by grace. And I can still do that. And I can still hang out in certain places. And I can do certain things because, well, you know, I'm forgiven. Because once saved, always saved, right? The fact that you walk by the flesh indicates, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that you're not walking by the Spirit. And if you submit to the flesh more than the spirit, then there's something wrong with your theology and your doctrine and your salvation. See, because a genuine believer will take that insult. A genuine believer will say, yes, I am a Christian. Well, you know, if, you don't, if you don't just deny that, then you're going to lose your position here. It doesn't matter. You're, going to, you're not going to be able to rise any higher if you continue on with that, that attitude is what they would call it. You're not being tolerant. As a matter of fact, you're very intolerant because you're not agreeing with our social stance on what this country is agreeing on. We have laws now, and these laws protect citizens that you are trying to get rid of. I'm not trying to get rid of anything or anyone. The gospel says that that is sin, and you are going to stand the wrath of God. That's all it says. I love you, and I wouldn't tell you this unless I loved you. I wouldn't share this message with you unless I loved you. And because I love Jesus Christ more, I don't love my body anymore. I love the cross. And whatever happens to me, whatever it might be, you need to hear the truth. Well, that's against the law or whatever the case may be, beloved. There's that persecution. Somebody said to me this last week, you know, this is a Christian nation. You know, it was founded on Christian principles. You know, I... This is a pagan nation, beloved. This nation has turned into a pagan nation. And to find Christianity within that pagan nation is very rare. 
And Paul is just adamantly right in the last few sentences. He's saying, you know, the reason they want to do this is because, well, they want to show some showing of themselves. And these guys are afraid to even say that it's only by Christ alone. That's why they're bringing in this tradition of Moses so that the Jewish people can accept them. So that the culture of the day can accept them, that it's, it's okay to, 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 to follow these laws. Paul is saying that's, that's not the case here whatsoever. He goes on to say that some are motivated by works. Number two, some are motivated by works. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. You see what I did? I did that. I did that. You see that? You see this church? I did that. I did that, and they may not be saying it, but people get the applause and get the accolades and get all the recognition, and they, you know, well, God, by the grace of God, God's helped me to do this. Nonetheless, we have, well, movie star pastors. We have TED Talk TV pastors that are getting a lot of the accolades. And, uh, you know, I've always wanted to be a TED Talk TV pastor. I don't know about you. I I wanted people to follow me on Facebook and, way to go. I did, you know, I, when we first started, we were going to have a mega church. We were going to have a huge church. We are going to have a bunch of people here. And, you know, and well, God showed me different. That was 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm just satisfied into proclaiming the truth of God. And he says, some people are motivated by works and they, and they boast in their flesh. And, and, you know, one of the things that cowardness brings, you know, they were afraid of being the persecution. It's hypocrisy. Cowardness and hypocrisy kind of go hand in hand. And so they're, they're trying to follow the law. And Paul even says to them, even you, even you, he says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And as we had found earlier in the last few weeks, James says so, Jesus said so, Paul is telling us that if you're going to keep the law, you got to keep it all 100%. Because if you fail in one, you fail in all of them. And if you, if you mess one up, then you've messed them all up. This is why grace is so sufficient. This is why grace is amazing. He loves a sinner like me. This is why grace is sufficient to anything that we can ever do, because we cannot outgive God. And so they desire to have you circumcised, Paul told them, in order that they may boast in your flesh, although they did not want to keep the law. And from the beginning of time, It's always been a works-oriented salvation. Satan came in and started when Cain himself offered his unacceptable offering to God. Man has used religion as a cover for sin. And they use religion, and you can see it exposed even now. That when religion is being uh, pushed, and the laws and everything else that needs to be done, and and, and trying to commingle with our society and our social world and our world, And when you're trying to make both of them into one, God says, you know, don't love the world. Because if you love the world, you you don't love God. You don't love God. You can't if you love the world. The world has a whole lot of things to offer, a whole lot of uh, information, a whole lot of bling, I guess you would say. But from the very beginning, it's always been works-oriented, the Tower of Babel. Always works-oriented, works-oriented for salvation, the Jewish community. The Pharisees, works-oriented. And even today, we have a lot of works-oriented religions that you have to pray and give and do and, and, and serve. I See, I pray and give and do because 
I want to. Not to get saved. I pray and give and do because God's called me to. And I know that many of you have been called by God and you have been justified and you are going to be glorified. And I know that in the process of us getting glorified to the end, glorification comes at the end when our bodies are given up to, to God because of we're done on this, on this planet. But until then, we want to worship God. We want to work with God. We want to love God, exalt the Savior and glorify Him through our lives and walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Because the days are coming, beloved, as Paul would say to Timothy, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul says this, avoid such people. Avoid them. Don't debate them. Don't argue with them. Don't try to, you know, well, maybe we can get along. Paul says, avoid them. That's it. You know, if, if they're not on the same page, just avoid them. And every person is faced with the choice between these two religions. Either you're going to operate under the religion of grace or operate under the religion of works. And so we have these two. And and we know that the religion of works comes from Lucifer himself, from Satan. In Isaiah chapter 14, he says, "How How you are fallen from heaven, O day star. Son of Don, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pits. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven. I saw him and I know what he had done. It was his pride, his arrogance, his own self-reliance and what he himself can do and negating the sovereignty of God. From the very beginning, that has been the doctrine of those who follow a works-related religion. Number three, back to your outlines. See, we have the power of the cross, is what Paul says. You know, the power of the cross, which is able to, we're motivated by the power of the cross. And the power of the cross is what motivates us and moves us, even in times of persecution. And, And beloved, it's coming, it's coming soon. It's already here. And we need to get motivated by what Jesus Christ did, motivated by what Paul was able to accomplish. And he says in verse 14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me. That portion of scripture is so packed with what we ourselves need to understand as far as being holy. God says, be holy, for I am holy. And holiness is not pure purification or pure or perfectness. But being holy is separate, to be separate from the world. We are in this world. We are not to be of this world. And there are a lot of agendas out there, and they may be very good agendas. There are very great agendas that are going on that are, that are they might even line up with some of Scripture. But these agendas have their own agenda. Uh, you know, in, in one, for one, I, I can name one right now, abortion. I, first of all, I don't, I don't agree with abortion. Abortion is 
you know, killing babies. And it's, it's, it's wrong. It's always been wrong. And there's churches and there's people that have taken on that agenda. And they have lost track of the gospel. And I, I know that we can somehow bring that together. But it becomes a political agenda by the time you've extended it out to so far. Then you have those that are willing to vote for it and those that are willing to vote against it. And then you have those that are, well, well you know, it just, it just takes off. We will preach on murder. And I will teach you that murder is wrong. And you know that murder is wrong. And you know my stance on abortion. It is wrong. However, I am commanded to preach the word of God. And when that comes up, I will tell you and I would share with you about the sanctity of life. And right now there are so many agendas out there. And many of them good. Many of them trying to make a change in, in life and in this nation and in this world. But beloved, we cannot get wrapped up and lost in that agenda. The only agenda the church should have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is Paul's agenda, and that is Paul's directive, and that is God's call to every believer to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. He didn't come fighting against the governments. He came calling out the, the hypocrisy of the Jews, but his agenda was the kingdom of God. And the first reason Paul gives us for glorifying in the cross is that the power, it's, it's, it's power to free us from this world. This world, which comes from the Greek word cosmos, and we get our word cosmetology. You know, it's cosmetology, it's to cover up. It's, it's the opposite of chaos. Chaos is where the word we get chaos. Chaos is, is uh, you know, just chaotic event. And, and cosmos is what God has brought together. It speaks of order, an orderly system. And, uh, and, and so what happens is that the cosmos that, that God is talking about, the cosmos refers to the order of the evil of the world system ruled by Satan. This cos cosmetic cover, this cosmetic appeal, this beautiful looking thing that, God, uh, excuse me, that Satan has been allowed to rule is where we live at. And it looks beautiful. I mean, I think he's got some of the best makeup in the world. Sorry, ladies. You know? But please don't go there and buy it. Where do I get this stuff? It is not on the shelves. It is pictured within the demonic realm of Satan. This world looks beautiful. And it looks good. It's very alluring. In spite of all the evil that goes on, there are a lot of things that we're drawn to. There are a lot of things that it brings us to. And the life of a person apart from Jesus Christ is the life of a victim of this system. And when Paul is saying, he says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me. He says, you know, that allure, that, that system, I, I no longer partake of it. I no longer partake of its, uh, of its agenda. My agenda is Jesus Christ and only Him. And it is a life ruled in this world. It's a life ruled by the flesh. And this is one of the reasons we find a lot of carnal Christians. is because they still participate in the world. They still participate in its agenda. They still participate in all that is happening within the world. And they make it a part of them. And as I mentioned to you when we talked about the flesh and the spirit, you know, the gift of the spirit, the, excuse me, the, the fruit of the spirit, the nine characteristics, it should just ooze out of you. It should just, you should be able to just to breathe it in and out. People ought to sense and see your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That should just be evident in your life when you are walking by the Spirit. But the deeds of the flesh, they're just as evident. And the deeds of the flesh, and we talked about them. And, and so you cannot be in both camps at the same time. Either you're in one or you're in the other. 
And Paul made the argument by saying, you know, sometimes we fall into that camp. But when we are focusing on the fruit of the Spirit, we can overcome the fleshly desires. And my pride gets in the way. My pride gets in the way. And I, I want to I, I fall back into the flesh and say certain things that I shouldn't say. And, and sometimes I have. And I, I have to repent. I ask the person to forgive me. And we move forward. And so that's the struggle that we have until we leave this place. But the person without Christ is, is haunted by their past, with, haunted by their guilt, and haunted by the things that they've done, and, and their shame for the things that they've done, and the guilt of things that have been done to them. And they're haunted by this world and this system. And it's not until the gospel message is proclaimed to that person that he can liberate himself and be free from the bondage of this world. The power of the cross has the power to free us from bondage, number one, or excuse me, number three. The power of the cross gives us the power to free us from that bondage. It's unfortunate many people try all sorts of things to free ourselves from that guilt, the bondage of guilt, the bondage of shame. Some, some things have happened in a person's life at no fault of them, their own, yet You've grown up with it. It's part of who you are. Never really understanding as to why or how or, you know, why did that happen? Why did it even happen that way? And, and, and it brings a lot of shame in your life. And it brings shame in such a way that, that it, it, it freezes you and immobilizes you to move forward. And, and you think that you are probably the worst of all people in this world and you're bound up in this world because of that shame. Or maybe some guilt. Something that you have done, something that you have caused, and this guilt is just overwhelming. And we try all sorts of things to get rid of this shame and this guilt, these twisted sisters that live within our life. We try drugs, we try alcohol, we try sex, we try work, we try just get, staying busy. And we, we try to do all these things, all these things within our life to, to, to get rid of it, at least kind of, you know, squash it down. But in the morning as I sober up, there they pop up again. And they're there. And, they, and we are motivated by that shame and guilt and trying to get away from it. And we're moving further and further into this world. The power of the cross. The power of the cross is able to eradicate that pain, that shame. is to free you from that bondage, that slavery, that, that's, that, that, that holding on to you of this world. See, Satan doesn't want you to know that. God has given it to you. God is showing you that the grace is sufficient of God is sufficient for you. He's constantly haunted. You know, one of the things that we do sometimes is, is, is trying to get, get through that stuff is maybe if I can just feed myself, it'll go away. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 in your outlines. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you've committed your life and you know that these things have been taken away, you've been freed from this bondage of, of this world, of this shame, this guilt, and all the things that you've been running away from, then you need to understand that if he began it in you, he'll see it on to completion. You cannot lose it. If he began it in you, it is in you, and he will see it out to completion. But pastor, you don't understand what's going on in my life. If he began it in you, he will see it unto completion. But I've gone through so much turmoil, and if he began this good work in you, he will see it on to completion. You have that verse in your outlines there? Say amen. Let's read this all together. 
I'd like for you to really capture this and take it home and memorize it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, all together. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, and amen. That is the believer's blessing. We talked about this last week. You get blessings not just in the future, but you get them now. And you can hinder them by this attitude and this thought process if you continue to allow these twisted sisters to twist your mind. Believe that you have been crucified to the world. You have been crucified to the world. 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The world is corrupt. The world has all these, and Jesus Christ is coming back to save this planet. He's going to set us straight. He's going to set the planet straight. Well, the planet gets destroyed, you know, and maybe I shouldn't have put it that way, but he comes to save those who are his. The planet gets destroyed. We get a new heaven. We get a new earth. And when Jesus Christ returns, he's not going to go back to normal. Many of you are expecting normal. When are we going to get back to normal? <laughs> you know, when's normal going to come back? When are we going to be able to, whatever the case, you, you fill that out. There is no normal, beloved. Jesus Christ is coming back to establish his kingdom. That's what he's coming to do. See, our citizenship, Paul says to the people in Philippi again, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even, uh, enables him even to subject all things to himself. The phrase, the world has been crucified to me, also relates to the believer's spiritual position before God to the historical fact of his trusting in Christ for salvation and his spiritual union with Christ through the death of his son on the cross. And so this, this world that we are separated from, this world that is no longer our home, this world that we are passing through, we're strangers, we're foreigners, we're travelers, we're just passing through here and all the things that, that pass by us day after day, all the things, all the, the riches and the glory, the death and the famine and the hurt and every educational uh, aspect of life, every single part of this world is passing away. And we have the power from the cross to relieve us of this bondage. Number four, the power to overrule the flesh. The power to do what the flesh cannot do. Prior to coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I tried to change my life. Many of you have expressed to me how you tried to change your life. Some of you are even right now trying to change your life. And the flesh is strong. And the flesh is telling you that this is okay. And some people that live in the flesh, that work in the flesh, it's no big deal. I don't see any problem with this. You got the problem. It's no big deal to... to live in the flesh and work in the flesh and have all these fleshly desires of anger, of jealousy, of sexual immorality, of fits of rage, of all these things that we talked about. Some people say, I got no problem with that. Well, it's because that's the flesh. But the moment that you commit your life to Christ, there is a tension, a divine tension that takes place in your life. And this divine tension and this confrontation of the spirit and the flesh are constantly fighting each other. And this is why we talk about walking in the spirit, living in the spirit, being filled by the spirit, which are all synonymous, which is Jesus said, those who abide in me and I in him are in the spirit. 
And it's, it's, a, it's a matter of understanding what that power does, who the Holy Spirit is and what He gives us. You have the ability, when you are a, a regenerated believer, you have the ability to overrule the flesh. It is, Paul says, for circumcision is nothing, is anything, except meaning that the value of it, and Paul says for the Gentile, uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. You can be circumcised or uncircumcised. You can be baptized or not baptized. You can be, uh, take the Lord's Supper or not take the Lord's Supper. You, you can come to church or not come to church. You know, you can, you, you know the, the point is that you're connected to God. Now, we want you to be in the fold. The Bible tells you not to neglect the gathering of the saints. This is where you're going to get your instruction, your time of worship and corporate worship. And many of us have found a way to do so online. However, this is essential. This is truly essential. And it is those that have this new creation, this new body, this new spirit, Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Before seeing the kingdom of God, you got to be born again. Before getting saved, you got to be born again. And this is a work of the Spirit, as Jesus goes on to explain. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but a new creation, that's what counts. You've committed your life to Christ, you're a new creation. You're different. You're no longer like the way you used to be. So stop living that way. Live as a new creation. What does a new creation do? Well, I'm glad you asked. We have studies for that. We have sermons. We have messages. We have fellowship. We have those, you know, you you become different. You cannot do this on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit, and you need that in numbers. And the last thing I want to share with you is that the power of the cross, it brings power to salvation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. It brings salvation. Those who walk by this rule, that word rule, kanan, is the word where we get our our word canon or standard. The standard that he says, walk by this standard, walk by this rule, and live by it. And and you know, when you do that, it, it gives it shows that your, your genuineness of your salvation and you're willing to lay that on the line and you'll, you will receive the peace and the mercy that comes from God. Peace is the positive side of salvation and establishing a new and right relationship with God. Remember, shalom, peace, is a completeness, a wholeness. Not just peace. There's no more war. But it means so much more to the believer that you have, you have removed that enmity between you and God, that tension that you were sensing and feeling and understanding that, you know, if I die right now, I know I'm going to hell, has been removed. You have that peace and mercy. Mercy, removal of sin. You don't have to worry about your past. You don't have to worry about the guilt and the shame. That mercy that, that covers all things now, tomorrow, and even yesterday. Last few things, not, not on your outline, the power to keep on keeping on. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He says, you know what? I mean, stop harassing me. Tell people to stop harassing me. If, if they want to know how dedicated I am, I've got the marks to prove it. So stop harassing me. You, you know, and if you want to continue to harass me, that's okay. I can add more to my credentials. Those were his credentials. And we know, as I mentioned earlier, Paul, by the world standard, was a failure. He was executed. He was beheaded, imprisoned for two years. 
had liberty to, you know, to, to write letters and people to visit him, and, but he was in prison for two years. They didn't want him preaching out and establishing more churches. But God was done with his work. And when it was completely finished, tradition has it that he was executed. And so he says, from now on, don't let anybody cause me trouble. And it also is the power to forgive. Then this is important. Paul starts off this letter by just bombarding them with doctrine and theology. What's wrong with you guys? Why are you doing this? Get these guys out of there. Live by the Spirit. Do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And he's just, and then he ends the letter by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There needs to be forgiveness. There needs to be an amends. There needs to be a way of bringing people back in. We just can't bombard them with the word, look, I love you, and that the grace of God, which is sufficient, this amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. Because that's ultimately why Jesus Christ died on the cross. Let me ask you to stand. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Do you have that one? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Oh, I, I see. I, that's why I need for you to sing it. <laughs> I'm blind, but I, see. I was blind, but now I see. Thank you. You see? And uh, if you would lead us on that, yeah, whether you have it on music or not, that would be nice. This amazing grace that Paul is talking about, this amazing grace that is given to each one that has committed the life to Christ, has removed the sin and the work of salvation. You don't have to work for it is what I mean by that. You don't have to try to do anything for it. You are secure. Do not allow anybody else to try to tell you anything different. If you've genuinely been saved, if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, you have what's called the perseverance of the saints. And you're going to move forward and God is going to make sure, and God has made sure that you have your place in heaven. It's done. Taken care of. And I know that these twisted sisters have come up every once in a while. All you have to tell them is, be gone. My shame and my guilt has been taken care of because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. If you have not yet come to that place in your life, then do what Jesus Christ said. Repent and believe. He didn't say open up your heart. He didn't say come forward. He didn't say how many of you are willing to, to receive me. It's a command. Repent. He is commanding you to repent from the lifestyle in this world that you're living in. And He's commanding you to believe. And those that can't do that, well, it'll be evident. But those that will and can will show the fruit of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Father in heaven, we want to thank you once again for how you have saved a wretch like me. When each one of us came to a saving knowledge of who you are, recognizing our own sinfulness, we recognized that we couldn't do this on our own. And because of your saving grace, I pray, Lord, that we can continue in that grace. We know that there is nothing else added to it. We know that I couldn't do this on my own. We know that there was nothing that, that I can contribute to this salvation. It is by your grace and your grace alone. So I pray, Father, that as we move forward, from this point forward, into the book of Ephesians, and we start a new era, a new time, that you prepare our hearts for this revival that is to take place here at our, in our facilities. Prepare us, get our hands uh, ready for battle, 
prepare our hearts and dismiss us now from this place, but never from your presence, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are dismissed. Thank you, beloved, and we'll see you soon.